Proverbs. Uh, we are getting close to finishing the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. <clears throat> it's been a few weeks since we have been in the book of Proverbs. Amen. So while you're turning there, remember uh, we have three levels that the book of Proverbs teaches us about wisdom. Number one is having social skills. As some people call that emotional intelligence, social skills, the ability to know what to do, when to do it, how to do it, what to say, amen, when to say it, and what emotion to have in life. And then number two, how to be a good person, amen, how to live righteous. And number three, the highest level is to fear the Lord God, amen. So that's what Proverbs is about. When I come to chapter 27, really the whole book is like sitting down with God and letting God counsel your life. Amen? How many of y'all like to sit down with God and let God be your counselor? He's a wonderful counselor. And so when we come to the book of Proverbs, it's literally like sitting down with God and letting God counsel our life. All right, Proverbs 27, please turn there if you would. We are in the section here that deals with the king. The king giving us direction in life. First of all, the first few verses deal with behavior. What kind of behavior are we to have? Amen. So God's going to give us some counsel on behavior. <clears throat> He's going to talk to us about friendship, verses 5 through 10. And we will finish out this chapter tonight. So uh, God is good. Amen. <clears throat> Something you'll notice about the book of Proverbs is sort of like a... Hummingbird. You ever seen a hummingbird? It just goes from one flower to another, you know, and they move very quickly, you know. And we set some uh, hummingbird feeders out. Most of the time we go on vacation, not here in Odessa, but we go on vacation up in the mountains. There's a lot of hummingbirds. And so they'll go from one feeder to another, and they'll hit that feeder, and then, they'll, man, they'll zoom off, and they'll come back, you know, and they'll hit the feeders. But they'll move from one place very, very quickly. And that's sort of the way the book of Proverbs is set up, set up like a hummingbird. So this man of wisdom here will jump from one thing to another, you know, just very fast. And that's the way the book of Proverbs is laid out. Okay, verse 1 says, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Amen. Father, we come before you right now. We ask your blessing to be upon the reading of your holy word. We pray, God, for your divine inspiration anointed of the Holy Ghost to preach and teach it and to hear it and receive it. And everybody said in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, don't presume on the future. First thing. Now, Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 6. So go over there. In verse 34. <clears throat> Matthew 6.34, this is the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, take therefore no thought for the morrow or tomorrow. For the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So don't go through life trying to borrow trouble from the future. Most people sit around and worry about tomorrow. And a lot of times the things you sit around and worry about, they never happen. 
You know, worried about the future, what the future is going to hold, presuming on the future. So Jesus is talking about that. You live in the day. Now, it doesn't mean we don't prepare for the future, but we don't sit around and we worry about the future and, and drag troubles that haven't even happened to us yet into the present time. Amen? That's not a wise thing. So if you look right in verse 1 of 27 again, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring. Don't worry about tomorrow. You let God take care of tomorrow. You trust God with the future. Don't presume on the future. Amen. And, and just, just believe that God's going to help you. Praise the Lord. I believe the Word of God tonight. So we don't presume on the future. Okay, <clears throat> because you never know. We're only really one heartbeat from eternity. So you really need to live in the present time, especially in the light of eternal things. One heartbeat. Think about that. One heartbeat from eternity. Your heart stops beating. It's it. You're going in, into eternity. And you think, you know, you're going to live forever. That's the way most of us think, right? We think we're going to live forever. I'm talking about it physically in this world. But that's not true. One heartbeat from eternity. That's why you cannot presume on tomorrow and say, well, I'll be here tomorrow, you know. You've got to live in the present day. Today is the day of salvation. We don't have a promise of tomorrow. We need to prepare for eternity and live like this heartbeat is the last one. Because I don't want to be caught by surprise thinking I'm going to be here tomorrow and I'm really just one heartbeat away from going into eternity. So you need to be wise as the king is saying here and prepare for eternity. Don't act like or presume that you're going to be around forever and ever and ever. You just never know. Amen. Okay, look at verse 2. <clears throat> it says, Let another man praise thee and not thine own mouth, a stranger and not thine own lips. You see, so he's very quickly moving into another subject here, right? Okay. This verse, verse 2, deals with pride. He tells you not to go around and always be boasting about yourself or be talking about yourself. That's a manifestation of pride. You're always, you're always praising yourself, right? Think about John the Baptist. When he came here, Jesus said what? He was the greatest of all prophets. But there was nobody like John the Baptist. That came out of the mouth of Jesus. But what did John say about himself? He didn't walk around and say, man, I'm a great man. He didn't walk around and say, I'm a great prophet, did he? No, he said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. Right? Make straight the path for the Lord. He just said, I'm just a voice. That's it. Jesus is the Word. John was a voice, but Jesus was the Word. So even though Jesus said He was the greatest of all men that have ever lived as far as being a prophet and a servant of God, nobody ever liked John the Baptist. John never looked at, that, looked at himself that way because he wasn't walking in pride. He just said, I'm a voice crying in the wilderness. So we need to be careful about pride. The Bible tells us, let somebody else praise you. You do something good, you let somebody else praise you. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 3. Again, moving to a totally different area here. Proper behavior in life. A stone is heavy and the sand weighty. I've never ever tried to move rocks. It's hard to move rocks, isn't it? Amen. I've tried to move sand. It's hard to move sand. I tell you what, somebody that's a concrete worker, you work with concrete? How many of you have ever worked with concrete before? 
Man, to try to get that stuff to move, mix that sand and that concrete, that is one of the hardest things that you could ever do is try to get sand and concrete rocks to move because they're very, very heavy, you know. Well, the Bible goes on and tells us right here, like a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, a fool's wrath is heavier than them both. Now, what is a fool? Somebody who says no to God. Somebody who says no to the Word of God. They're not going to do what God tells them. And so what he's saying here is that a fool is like that. You can't move them. You can try. You can show them where they're wrong. You can teach them the things of the Word of God, teach them what's right, show them what's wrong, but you can't move them. They're like rocks, man. They're like sand. Unmovable, okay? The Bible talks about a man whose name was Nabal. How many ever heard of Nabal? Okay, remember the life of David? Okay, the Bible tells us that David protected his flocks for him. And oh, oh, Nabal returned David's good with bad. And David, when he found that out, he got upset he was going to kill Nabal for returning to him bad for good. Until Nabal's wife found out what was going to happen. Right with me here? And she went... And she appeased King, King David's, or David at the time, David's wrath so that he would not do harm to Nabal. You with me? And so Nabal's wife went back and told Nabal, Nabal, this is what was going to happen. You were within a hair's breadth of having your life taken from you by David because you returned David's good with bad. You know what the Bible says? Nabal died of a heart attack. You know what the word Nabal means? It means a fool. The Bible said when Nabal died of a heart attack, he was, his body turned into like stone. Just like the book of Proverbs says here, a stone is heavy and the sand weighty, but a Nabal's wrath is heavier than both. You can't move them, man. They're like stone. You with me ever come across somebody like that trying to show them the Word of God, trying to teach them right and wrong, and they just won't move. They won't. They refuse to change and acknowledge the Word of God in their life. Amen. Well, why is the fool? Why is he? Why does he have wrath? Because he didn't get his way. People that don't get their way. You with me? So they pour out their wrath. The fool pours out his wrath because he didn't get his way. And so on and so on. Now let's go on to verse 4. Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. Right? Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous. But who is able to stand before envy? So we have wrath. That's cruel, right? Amen? We have anger is outrageous. Now anger is not a bad thing always. Anger, even wrath is not a bad thing. God gave us those emotions of wrath and anger. Right? The Bible says be angry and what? Sin not. So sometimes you need to be angry. But when you get angry, it's what you do when you're angry that can become the problem. It's not being angry. Something uh, is done wrong to you. You know, see, today, there's, in this time right now, we're, they're talking about Kavanaugh getting confirmed to the Supreme Court, you know. 
And he got accused by somebody 30-something years ago. Are you with me here? Of a very horrible thing. We won't get into details. If you don't know him, uh, you just go on the news and find out. But he got accused, right? Well, he got upset about that. That he was accused falsely. He claimed falsely that he was accused falsely. And he got upset. And so, you know, the liberals, man, they say, well, he doesn't have judicial temperament. You know, so they tried to destroy the man. You with me? Through these accusations. Everybody can see through that. Well, when their accusations didn't hold up, then they tried to say, well, he, you know, he threw ice in a bar one time. See, they didn't get him. They didn't get him on the accusation of committing sexual, uh, a sexual crime. You with me? They didn't have proof, so then they started backpedaling. Well, you know, he threw ice in a bar one time, or he just outrageous stuff. You with me? And so here he is when he has to go before the the committee. There, he gets upset about being falsely accused. So then those liberals take that and they say, well. He doesn't have judicial temperament. He shouldn't be on the court because he lost his temper. Well, the problem with that is that God, if you have been done wrongly, then you have a right to be angry. That's an emotion that God gave you, man. You with me here? But it's what you do when you're angry. Be angry and what? Sin not. Just don't sin when you get angry. Don't, don't let that anger or that emotion move you into a position of doing something you shouldn't do. Praise the Lord. So we have a perfect example of somebody that's been, nah, you shouldn't, he shouldn't ever got angry, you know. Well, hey, what would you do if you were falsely accused of something that happened over 30 years ago? You know? Okay. Well, so we see wrath is what? Cruel? And we see anger is outrageous. At times it is. Correct? But who is able to stand before envy? Jealousy. So you can appease wrath. Amen? You can appease anger, but you can't overcome jealousy. Jealousy is a horrible thing. Jealousy is what caused Jesus to be crucified on the cross. Envy was the sin that, that drove those people that crucified Jesus your Lord and Savior on the cross, jealousy. You can't do anything with jealousy. Think about Saul. Saul was jealous against David. And because Saul was jealous, what did he try to do? He tried to kill David with a, with a javelin multiple times. Why? Because he heard them sing about David. Saul has killed his thousands, but David has killed his ten thousands. And when Saul heard that going on in the streets... Jealousy rose up inside of him. And he did everything from that day forward to destroy David. It was envy. It was jealousy that caused him to do these things. Okay, amen? amen, amen. So you can do something about wrath sometime. You can do something about anger sometime. But jealousy is something that's hard to deal with. Who can stand? Who's able to stand before envy? Praise the Lord. All right, amen. Now, you got a jealous spouse? You maybe got an angry spouse. You maybe have a spouse that gets wrathful sometimes. You can kind of deal with their anger, can't you? Kind of deal with their wrath. 
But it's hard to deal with jealousy, isn't it? It can be a very destructive thing. Now, jealousy can also be a good thing because the Bible says God is jealous over you. He doesn't want to share you with anybody. Amen. He doesn't want to share you with another God. God is jealous, so it can be a good thing. But in this case, we're talking about something that is uh, inappropriate jealousy. Yeah. Okay, verse 5. Again, these are behaviors uh, that we should be addressing. Open rebuke is better than secret love. Verses 5 through 10 deals with friendship. Okay? Open rebuke is better than secret love. Verse 6, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, if you're a friend of somebody, if you're a coward friend, you'll never correct them. You with me? You won't ever correct them because you don't have the courage to correct them. See? There are people today that are so afraid of crossing anybody that they won't ever rebuke anybody. And they say in that we, we're not going to rebuke anybody, we're not going to correct anybody because we love them. That's my friend. And I'm not going to correct my friend because I love my friend. Well, the Bible tells us right here in these verses that it's better to give wounds to a friend. Amen? Than to have this secret love. Secret love. Now you should, you should, if you really love your friend, if you really care about your friend, you see him doing something wrong, you need to tell him, you're doing, this isn't right. You with me here today? See, we're living in a society that's so permissive. And nobody wants to correct anybody, nobody wants to hold anybody accountable, nobody wants to rebuke anybody. Right? But you think about the prophet Nathan. When David sinned against God, what did he do? That prophet went to David and he rebuked David. Now that prophet was a true friend of David. But it took courage for that prophet to go and rebuke David. Because David's a king. Now I do recognize that prophets had more power and uh, really they were greater than kings in the Old Testament. But still, you got a king, King David. And you're going to walk in there and you're going to rebuke King David for his sin with Bathsheba? Yeah. Because that was a true friend. He was willing to go in there and correct David, rebuke David for his sin. And a lot of people today, they have this secret, so-called secret love. They don't want to rebuke anybody. They want to correct anybody. That's not a true friend. Amen? For you parents out there today, you just can't bring yourself to correct your children. You don't love them. The Bible says you spare the rod, you spoil the child. The Bible says if you don't correct your children, you're, you're going to send them to hell. You're participating in sending them to hell. You with me? If they're wrong and you are agreeing with their lifestyle, you are helping them go to hell. You could talk about how much you love them, but really all it boils down to, you don't have the courage. You're a coward. you got to have courage to, set to, to rebuke somebody when they're wrong. 
Parents got to have courage to rebuke their children when they're wrong. Friends have to have enough courage in them to say, to look at a friend and say, you know what? You're not right. You're not living right. Instead of hanging around them and act like everything's okay and won't ever say anything, you know. And you know their lifestyle's not right, but you don't have the courage to take a stand for what's right. Sometimes you've got to be like Nathan. You've got to look David in the eye and say, David, you're wrong. You're in sin. And what happened is David repented. That, that really brought David to a position of getting right with God Almighty. Yeah, but we're living in a time right now, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, it's so confused. We're full of confusion. We're, we're, we are. People are lost and they're full of confusion. Do you realize today that it's when people are lost and confused in life, it's not that they don't believe. It's not that they don't believe. When a person is lost and confused, it has become that they believe anything. They believe anything. You with me here? See, if you and I depart from the truth, we, we, de we depart from the Word of God, that straight and narrow path that God calls us to. Do you know it's not that we're not going to believe? It's not that we don't believe. What happens is we believe anything. You start accepting anything and everything. Hallelujah. Right? You with me here? And uh, so right now I'm in the process of of taking some some courses on biblical counseling and and uh, things like that to to be able to help to understand. I think I know the Word of God fairly good, but I'm I want to learn how to understand human behavior better so that I can help you with your marriages and your raising children and your battles in life and your struggles in life. And and so I'm I'm taking the time to go through these courses and hopefully by the grace of God. It's going to take me a while, but I want to become certified, a certified counselor. And so what I just said to you comes from one of those courses. Amen. Amen. That when a person is confused and lost in life, it's not that they stop believing. They start believing anything. And you'll see that. You'll see that when somebody goes away from the Lord. When they backslide away from the Lord. It's not that they, they won't say, I don't believe anymore. You watch their life. Their life is saying to you, we believe anything now. We accept everything. So what you have to do as a real true friend is you have to come along and say, no, that's not right. What you're doing is wrong. The way you're living is wrong. It's not love if you let somebody keep doing their own thing and you know it's wrong and it's out of order and there's chaos everywhere. It's when you look at them and you say, I love you enough to tell you that what you're doing is wrong. You're on the wrong path. And it takes courage to do that, brothers and sisters. How many of y'all love your kids? You have the courage to look at them and tell them you're, you're not right. Yeah, that's a true friend. Praise the Lord. Say hallelujah. hallelujah. It does. It takes courage to be a true friend. 
Because a true friend is not always going to be looking out for your comfort. A true friend is going to be looking out for a way for you to get cured. True friend's going to see where you're sick instead of coming over there and just patting you on the back. Oh, it's going to be okay. A true friend is going to go over there and say, we need to get you well. Say praise the Lord. Now, if you're a fool, you're like stone and sand. Nobody can tell you anything. Amen. You won't move. You're not going to listen to anybody. Amen. But a true friend is going sometime to wound you. Oh, Jesus. You don't hear that, do you? Looks at us and says, a true friend is going to wound me sometime. Did you know that when Jesus, this is, not, this is going to shock you. I know it's going to shock you. But do you know that when Jesus walked in this earth, walked here on this planet, do you know this is going to shock you? And I know you can't accept it because you, you, you know in your mind you can't accept it. But Jesus wounded people. He corrected them. He came. He said some really hard things. He looked at some people one day and said, you're of your father the devil. He said, you don't even know God. The gentle Jesus. Jesus wounded people in the sense that He told them the truth. But then the one who wounded people became wounded for those people in order to save them. Amen? So on the one, on one hand, love will wound, but on the other hand, love will find a way to save. I know you don't want to hear it. I know you want to be in this little passive mindset where we're never going to correct anybody, and everybody's going to get, nobody's ever going to get hurt, you know. We just, we're just going to just accept everybody. You can't help somebody if you don't tell them the truth. If you don't look at him and say, you're wrong here. You need to get right with God. Hallelujah. Thank God for correction that comes from the hand of somebody that really cares about you. Amen. Praise the Lord. We don't like the truth, do we? Boy, y'all are, y'all are hard to move tonight. I hope you're not in verse 3. Are you getting the point here? See, I told you you didn't want to accept what I'm going to say. Jesus wounded people. But the one who wounded was wounded. Your best friend is going to be somebody that's going to tell the truth, tell you the truth about yourself. And when they do, it's going to help you. Because you're going to make the changes that you need to make. Do you understand that? Praise the Lord. You, you children, young people, you got parents that are strong enough, courageous enough to hold you accountable for the way you live your life. You need to thank God for that. Because they're your true friends. So, they, you, Daddy, you really hurt me. Yeah, it's because I love you. So you can sit there and be hard-headed all you want to. I'm telling preaching the Word of God to you. Y'all want, I need counsel, Pastor. I'm giving it to you. 
This comes coming. This is God sitting. Not, I'm not God, but this is God sitting down with you and counseling your life. So when I need a counselor, well, we got one. He's a wonderful counselor. Man fell. Man fell through a counselor, Satan. You got to be careful about who you listen to. Man fell through a counselor, Satan, when Satan tempted him to sin. But he's redeemed by a counselor, Jesus Christ, wonderful counselor. So God's telling us if we're going to be true friends, that we have to be the kind of people that are going to wound at times our friends. Amen? And sometimes my friends need to wound me. Because what I need sometimes is correction. I need to be healed. I need to be cured. And I don't need to be comforted. We're here tonight to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comforted. That's our job. Okay? That's the truth. So if you're comfortable tonight, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. We're here to afflict you. <laughs> That's a true friend. You need to thank God for somebody that will look you in the eyeball and say, you're not right, you need to get right. Hallelujah. Say praise the Lord. Now at that point, then it's your decision whether or not you accept it or not. And a wise man goes on learning. A wise man seeks out counsel. A wise man listens and a wise man changes. And a wise man seeks to, to know more of the truth. But a fool says no. You know, you can't move him, man. You can't move him. You with me here? So y'all get the word of God today? Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You think about Jesus Christ. Judas Iscariot was a kisser. Brother Dice used to say this, so you won't be offended at me. I'll blame it on him, and he's not, he's in heaven now. But he said, Nobody can kiss you like a charismatic. He said, they just walk up and just put, just plant a big old kiss on you. Make you feel so good all over. Yeah, that's not what you need. You need somebody to point out, amen, the things that need to be cured. You know, you don't need charismatic unless somebody to kiss you like Judas Iscariot. See, they show you so-called this love, that they love you. But if they don't tell you the truth, they don't love you. They're leading you down a path of, de a path of destruction and hell. Somebody that will stand up and preach the Word of God to you, or the Word of God itself, correct you. You need to praise the Lord for that. Yeah. You don't need some, some Judas Iscariot planting one on you. See, he acted like he loved the Lord by kissing him. Yeah, that's a deceitful thing, man. Right? So you got to be careful when you are picking friends. There are a lot of friends that will be kissing on you. Oh, you're so wonderful. You're the greatest thing since sliced bread. Man. Yeah. 
Is that the truth? Okay. Thank God for faithful friends. We don't need Judas Iscariots. You got to be careful who, whose friend you pick. You want, a, you want a friend that's always, you know, telling you everything you want to hear and a friend that's kissing on you all the time? Or do you want somebody to say, hey, you know what? You're not right. You need to make some changes in your life. Amen? That's somebody that's trying to help you, man. Okay? Verse 7 talks about friendship too. You, you can't tell it, but it does. The full soul loatheth the honeycomb, but to the hungry soul every bitter thing is sweet. Now in the context is friendship here. What does it mean? Okay. Well, if you've got a lot of friends, how many sometimes you just, you don't want to be around anybody? You know, at some point you get tired of people being around people all the time. Amen? How many of you ever get to a place where you just like to be left alone? Some of you don't have to like to be left alone because you are alone. <laughs> you have no friends. But this is talking about somebody that they're full, man. They got so many friends. And basically, you know, I'll be, I got so many friends. I just want to just leave me alone. I like to be to myself every once in a while. Amen. So the full soul loathed honeycomb. But then we have somebody, but to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. I want you to catch that. Every bitter thing is sweet. You got somebody, brothers and sisters, that don't have many friends. You have to be careful. If you don't have many friends, you could put yourself in a position of accepting anybody in your life just because they're willing to call you a friend. See? The Bible tells us, look at it here. But to the hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. See, there's somebody, they, they, they're so hungry and thirsty for friendship, they'll accept anybody in their life. It don't matter what kind of lifestyle they live. It doesn't matter that those people can influence them in a bad way in their walk with God. I just want a friend. And some people, man, They'll, they'll, they'll quit God. They'll, they'll stop doing what's right just so they can have a friend. They'll call bitter. The hungry person calls every bitter thing sweet. There's nothing wrong with them. Just so I can have somebody I can call a friend. Amen. Be careful. You need to be careful. Verse 7, the full soul low the honeycomb, but the hungry, every bitter thing is sweet. You need to be careful about friendships is what this is teaching you. You need to prove your friendships. You need to make sure that your friend is a true friend. Somebody that's trying to help you live for God. Somebody that's going to help you be better. Somebody that's willing to correct you when you need to be corrected. Somebody, amen with me? Somebody that will tell you the truth about what you're doing. 
You need to prove them. Are they really a friend? Or are they really bitter? But I'm making them out to be sweet because I'm so hungry for friendship. Amen. You have to prove your friendships what he's teaching you right here. But not everybody that wants to be your friend is good for you. It's not good for you. Are you with me today? I know everybody wants a friend. How many of y'all want a friend? We have a friend that stays closer than the brother Jesus. Right? But you got to be careful, you know, about being so needy. I mean, there's some, especially young people, they're so needy. I need a friend, right? So needy. And then they'll accept everybody or anything that walks in their life without proving them. Why? Because they're so hungry that they even call the bitter sweet. Be careful, brothers and sisters. There's some people not good for you. There's some people that will destroy you. You, you, are you with me? How many of y'all want a real friend? Not just a, a so-called friend, but a real friend. Yeah. They're, they're, hard, they're hard to come by. Amen. Especially men. You know men only have about one good friend. That's all they got. Just about one good friend. That's it. Right? So if we're not careful, man, we're looking for friendships, man. We'll be, be a friend to anything. You know what I'm saying? And that person's not good for you. You're starving, man. Just starving. I hate to bore you, but I'm just bringing the counsel of God to you. Amen. Yeah. There's some people you don't want to call your friend. Hallelujah. Hang around, hang around anybody and anything. It don't matter how they're living. No matter what they're doing. You with me here? It doesn't matter if they've forsaken God, forsaken holiness. They're my friend. What is that? You're so needy. You're not proving your friends. You're not picking them right. Now, I'll tell you how to prove them. Here's what you do. You tell them the truth. You tell them about Jesus Christ. Amen? Boy, it sure is quiet in here. I think it's quiet because you're learning. But when I first got in the church, I had some friends that were in the world. They had no intentions of living for the Lord. You know? No intentions of living for the Lord. So what do you do with these old friends that are in the world that have no intention to live for the Lord and they're a bad influence on you? You know what you do? You don't have to, you don't have to quit them. You don't have to stop being friends to them. Just tell them about Jesus. They'll drop you like a hot potato. You want to find out if the person that you're running with is a true friend? You talk to them about the Lord. Talk to them about living for God. Talk to them about, uh, praise the Lord, serving God. You won't have to quit them. They'll quit you. They'll drop you like a hot potato. That's how you prove the friends. But if you're so needy, you won't ever talk to them about the Lord. Because you're going to hide. You're going to cover that. Because you don't want them to know that you're a Christian. See what I'm saying? So it teaches to prove 
prove the friendships in our life. Amen. Verse 8. As a bird that wandereth from her nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. See, you got to protect your place. you got to protect your relationship with God. Don't forsake your place. Everybody, do you realize, brother and sister, that everybody in the church has a place? You have a place, I have a place. You need to stay in that place. You, you don't, don't get out of your place. Don't, don't, you know what I'm saying? See, some people, I mean, they wonder, they're like the bird that forsakes the nest, man. They go from one place to another place to another place to another place. They don't protect what they have. And the overall context of friendship here is that when you have somebody that's willing to abandon their place in order to stay connected with a so-called friend. They're not your friend if they don't tell you the truth. They're not your friend if they're taking you away from God. They're not your friend if they're taking you out of your place. You with me here? That's what the Bible's teaching you in the context here. Just wandering souls, man. People are willing to give up their place for so-called friendship. But they don't realize that that friendship is going to destroy them ultimately. Because you can't trust them. And we'll get to that in just a minute. It talks about uh, verse 13. Well, I'll just get to it right now. Take his garment that is a surety for a stranger and take a pledge of him for a strange woman. What's he saying? Don't back an apostate. Verse 13 where it says, where it talks about the stranger. The word stranger means apostate. He's, he said, don't stand with the apostate. Don't stand good for the apostate, the stranger. Don't back him. And then he goes on and he talks about the whoremonger. And take a pledge for a strange, take a pledge of him for a strange woman. What he's talking about here is you can't support or back up the apostate, nor can you trust a whoremonger. You can't trust him. If you, if you support an apostate, if you uh, back an apostate, or if you put your confidence and trust in a whoremonger, what he's teaching you is you will eventually pay. You'll pay for it. And so what it talks about is a bird that wandereth from the nest, so is a man that wandereth from his place. Everybody has a place. You've got to be careful about so-called friends that will take you out of that place and cause you to wander out of the will of God Almighty. And apostates, you will stand with an apostate. God said don't stand with them. And you can't trust a whoremonger. They'll let you down every time. This is the Word of God I'm preaching to you. Amen? So don't be like a wandering bird from the nest. So is a man that wandered from his place. See, how many of y'all know you got these young men, you got to realize there's two-legged deers out there. I know what two-legged deers are. 
You know what two-legged deers are, men? I'm not talking about D-E-E-R. I'm talking D-E-A-R. Two-legged deers. Women. They'll come around you, man. You start looking at them. They're not in the church. But you're so, you just, you just got to have a woman, you know? So-called girlfriend. And you quit the church. You'll forsake your place. Same thing with you young women. You got to be careful. You get so, so needy of a man that you'll wander out of your place. Everybody except on if she's pledged till she's 40. She won't ever get married. That's a good pledge, I think. Not wise, is it? You got to protect. Everyone has a specific place in the body of Christ. Look at your neighbor and help me preach. Say, don't get out of place. You wonder, you wonder, you start chasing people in the name of friendship. I'm going to promise you, brothers and sisters, it may not be a week or two, a month or two, a year or two. It may take a while, but eventually it's going to come back and it's going to, it's, you're going to pay for it. Can't do that. You stay faithful to God. So what happened is when I came to the church, my friends, you know, they weren't good. Good friends. They were bad influences on my life. And so have you ever noticed once you get in the kingdom of God, all of a sudden they start coming out of the woodwork, man. I mean, they're coming out from everywhere. People you hadn't seen in a long time knocking on your door. Hey, let's go. Let's go out. Let's party. Let's go out and have a good time. You had not seen them in a long time, right? The devil sent them. You first get in the church, the most beautiful girl that you could possibly ever imagine is going to want to be your girlfriend. Or the most handsome young man that you've ever dreamed about in your life all of a sudden will try to come and court you. Have you ever noticed that? Not yet. It happens. They're sent by the devil to get you out of your place. If they're a true friend, I want you to hear me. If they're a true friend, they will never try to get you out of your place. Never. So they're very, very, very dangerous friendships. Verse 9, are you alright? Everybody alright? You're not shouting very loud tonight. It's okay. I'm I'm I love it. I'm preaching God's word. Brother Brother Bishop wants me to preach it again. Start over and preach the whole thing again. I tell him I'm going to just for Timbo's sake. Because he don't get it the first time. I gotta tell him like not really. You, he does. He does. We need this, don't we? How many of y'all going to let a friend take you out of, out of the will of God? Uh, or a relationship take you out of the will of God? You're not wise if you do. Getting out of your place. Very dangerous, brothers and sisters. Verse 9 talks about the proper atmosphere of friendship. Say proper atmosphere. Okay. Ointment and perfume rejoice the heart 
so doth the sweetness of a man's friend by hearty counsel. How many of y'all put va value on the counsel of a friend? Amen. You know, counsel. We need the counsels of a friend, right? And I put value on that. And uh, I don't necessarily call them friends, but, you know, we've been the last couple of days trying to uh, place Jeremiah in college. And so we went to UTPB. Wonderful counselor there. Spent close to two hours with us, talking to us. Then we went to Odessa College. And we found a counselor there. And I mean, just tremendous help in, in giving us the ability to make some decisions and some, you know, get some direction for Jeremiah in college, right? And uh, so now he's, he's going to be going to college. Uh, he's going to start at community college and then hopefully, eventually, plan is to go to UTVB. Uh, he's got a job now. So, you know, all of this, it's really amazing how God puts all these things together. But I, I, I say that to you, brothers and sisters, because when you sit down, and you don't know, I don't know anything about college, right? When you sit down with somebody that can talk to you and, and help you make good, good decisions, you know, wise decisions, I put value on that. I'll call them my friend. Even though I don't know them, they help my life. They help my son. Does everybody understand that? But if somebody comes to you as a friend and give you direction or counsel your life, you should put value on that, right? It's like ointment and perfume to rejoice the heart. Amen. You got a friend that give you counsel, give you good advice. Everybody needs it. I need it. And you need to put value on that. It's just like ointment. Um, Jesus Christ is the ultimate ointment. In the book of Exodus, it talks about these different parts and whatnot that go into the anointing oil. And Jesus Christ fulfilled all of that. Every, every part, and I'm not going to get into that, take me too long. Every part, the oil, the cassia, the cinnamon, all of those various pieces and parts of that ointment, Jesus Christ fulfilled it all. Amen. He is the ointment. Hallelujah. He's the true friend. He's the anointing. Is there an anointing? Is there, an is there an anointing on your friend? You need to put value on an anointing, anointed friend. Jesus is the anointed friend. That we need in our lives. That brings the right atmosphere. Praise the Lord. Now you get around some people. Get around some people. Man, I want to tell you, they stink up the atmosphere. That's right. You know? Have you ever got around somebody, man, you just, the atmosphere changed. I mean, they just stink it up. Well, you don't want to be, that, you don't want to be around that person then. But you get around some other people, though, you get around, man, the ointment, the, the aroma, the atmosphere is, it's right. That's what he's talking about when it comes to friendship, man. Make sure that the atmosphere you're in is right. You get around and get in a situation, man, it's, it's, it stinks. I think you need to get away from it. They're not anointed. Verse 10. Thine own friend, thy friend, uh, father's friend, forsake not. Neither go into thy brother's house in the day of thy calamity. For better is a neighbor that is near than a brother far off. What's he saying? Well, 
if you got, you need to make friends with neighbors. Because at some point you might need them. Right? You never know when you're going to need your neighbor to help you. So I got a brother, he's over there and, you know, he lives in California. And when I get in trouble, I'll go, I'll seek my brother in California to get some help from my brother in California. I said, don't try to find help your brother distance. He's a long ways away from you. And here you are trying to count on your brother who's a long ways away from you. You got people that are real close to you. They're neighbors. They'll come down and help you. Amen. Put your Look for help in your neighbors. Don't look for distant relationships to come and help you. That's what the Bible teaches you here. Now, it doesn't mean sometimes your brother won't come and help you. He lives in California. He may come and help you. But I want to tell you something. Ultimately, it's the people that you're around mostly day by day that are your true friends that will be there to help you. Hallelujah. You call up your brother and say, Brother, I'm really having a hard time over here. What's your name? Well, I'm your brother. This is Brother Jerry. Brother who? Distant relationships. You think you can count on them. You're looking for family to help you. Distant relationships. God says, no, you need to be looking to the ones that are close to you in your life. They're your true friends. Amen. Somebody, some people put too much emphasis on family. Yeah. Brother says they let you down. How many of y'all have been ever let down by family? Yeah. Right? But you get somebody that's a good friend, good solid friend, that you can count on, they'll be there. They'll be there. Hallelujah. You, you can depend on them. Hey, praise the Lord. Friend, like neighbor. Jesus, he found the man, uh, the Bible talks about, on the side of the road. Amen. Beaten, bloody, left for dead by thieves. Right? It wasn't religion that helped the man. They walked right by. You and me? But a Samaritan went down. The good Samaritan went down and bound up his wounds and put him on his, his donkey and took him to the inn and paid two days' wages. Jesus is the good Samaritan. He comes down. He binds up your wounds. Pours in the oil of the Spirit of God. Takes you to the end and pays a price for two days, 2,000 years before he comes back and takes the church out. The, the end is the church. And he's made sure you're taken care of for 2,000 years and he's going to come back. And if there's anything left that needs to be paid, he'll pay it when he comes back. Good Samaritan. Sometimes you can't put confidence even in religion. But there's somebody like Jesus that will come down there and help you. Don't put your confidence in friends, distant friends. They're not going to be there for you ultimately. Uh, distant uh, family members. Okay, with me here? Verse 11. My son be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. Now this is a glad daddy. Okay? It's a glad father. I just, I just title it the glad daddy. The glad dad. 
Brothers and sisters, today, how, how many of y'all have, have dads? You have a dad? You mean you have a dad? How many, and you want to honor your dad? You want to honor your dad? Now, maybe some of them going to be with the Lord. I don't know. Um, if you love your dad, you honor him. If you don't love your dad, you won't honor him. See, you've got somebody, as the Bible says in verse 7, My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. You say, somebody comes up there, man, and they're attacking you. Right? We can look at your kids. Maybe you're accusing yourself of something. I was talking to a saint of God just the other day. And they, you know, they just were really beating themselves up and, you know. And I told them, I said, I can look at your kids and tell by your children, by, by your child, that you're doing a good job. That you shouldn't be beating yourself up like you are. Amen? Or do you got somebody that's attacking you? If you've got kids that are wise and walking with the Lord, if somebody attacks you, then you can say, look at my kids. On the other hand, you've got a kid and you're doing everything you can to raise them right and they won't honor you, they won't live for God. Brothers and sisters, that, that's a... It, it, it's, it's a difficult thing. You think about Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 8. Samuel was a, was a man, sterling character. Amen. Are y'all tired? I won't keep you too long. Samuel was sterling character. He was the last judge and the first prophet in the Word of God. It's a wonderful man of God. The Bible says of Samuel that his not one word fell to the ground. That's how powerful, how great a man he was that everything he said came to pass. Not one word fell to the ground. But in 1 Samuel chapter 8, the Bible tells us that this man that had such a, a sterling character had some bad sons. And that became a stumbling block. As we would see Samuel, see what a wonderful man he was, but then look at his kids, and his kids didn't honor Dad. And so, so it, was, it was a breach. Have you got a good, good father today that loves God, lives for the Lord, and you're in the church today? You need to honor that man. And you will if you love him. Don't, don't tell him, I love you, Daddy, and you're going out and, and doing all these bad things and wrong things. Because you, you might have a father that's sterling in his character. He's a good man. But then when people look at you, they might start thinking there's something wrong with him if you're not living the way you're supposed to live. So you, do you want to, 
Do you want to honor your father or do you want to dishonor your father? Do you want to bring a reproach on your dad? Then do things wrong. Live like the world. Live like an idolater. Live like somebody that doesn't fear God. Be lazy. You understand? See? Well, no matter how hard your dad has tried to raise you right, to raise you in the church of the living God, you're like one of Samuel's kids. It was, a, it, was, it was a blight on his life. It was a hardship on his life. So if you want to make your, your dad glad, you live for the Lord. You want, to, you want to break the heart of your father? You want to cause some pain to your father or to your mother? Then go wrong. The pain that that parent lives with because of a bad child. After everything they've done, everything they've put into you, the money they've paid, the time and the effort that they've put in your life, and here you acting like this. Don't talk about how much you love your parents. Don't talk about how much you love your dad. If you're not going to live, right? You're, dis you're bringing a reproach on your father's life if you don't live right. How many of you want to honor your father? The only way you will is if you really love him. You don't love him, you won't honor him. Amen? Say praise the Lord. And obviously we're talking about a father that's right with God himself. We're talking about a wise daddy. Amen? There's some fathers, they're not right themselves. But you live right. You live right. And even if they're not right, if you live right, at least you're bringing some honor to Him. You know? Amen? You can tell a lot about a man by looking at the children. And that's why it can really be difficult because there's some good men that have bad children. There's some, some good men that have good children. Thank God for a child that will live for the Lord. I look, I look out here right now and I see uh, some of you with your kids with you in church. Really, that's, that's what your parents live for, ultimately. They get excited about you going to school, going to college, getting a good job, whatever, you know, excelling, succeeding in life. They, they get it. They, they're kind of thankful about that. But it doesn't mean one thing if you're not sitting with them in the house of God. If you're not living for the Lord. Amen. If you don't fear God, you're not living righteously. You don't have good wisdom, social skills. With me here? But you living for the Lord, they don't care how much money you make, what level of education you have, as long as you're living for God. Amen. There's some people today, brothers and sisters, fathers' hearts are broken. I talked to a man. He's not in the church. Talked to a man. His son is in, was in prison. And he did everything he could. He talked to me. He did everything he could to raise him in the church. 
That son in prison, man, you could just, the pain, just, you could see it in his face. Heartbroken. As my son went bad. It really is hard. So if you want to make your, your father glad, then live for the Lord. If you want to make your father, you want to make your parents glad, live for the Lord. Live a good life. Live righteous. Don't be out there doing crazy stuff. Drinking and smoking and partying and running with the world. Or getting pregnant out of wedlock. That brings a hardship. A hardship. Hardship that you, you have no idea. The hardship that that brings on. Now, you say, but pastor, I've done that. But that's before you knew the Lord. So don't beat your head self up. You know, now you're living for God. That's what's important, right? Yeah, you, you made some mistakes in the past. Sin. You know what? You can make it right. You live for the Lord. You, you might have lived like a devil, man. Broke your parents' heart. Broke your daddy's heart. You can call him on the telephone and say, Daddy, I'm changing my life. I'm living for God now. I'm not, I'm not the same person I used to be. And I'll I tell you, brother, sister, if, if he's still alive, he's still alive, you give him some joy. Make him glad. Amen. Man, there's some parents, they wish they had never had kids. They're so bad. I knew a man of God. He's gone on to be with the Lord. I'm not going to call him by name. I don't think that would be appropriate. But a great man of God. And me and Sister Christine knew him for years. And he's in heaven now. And we just recently found out that he and his wife adopted a girl. And a teenage girl. And this... He, he was a pastor, a preacher of the Word of God. He did everything he could to raise that girl in the church to live for the Lord. So I mean, a wonderful man of God. But there was just something about her, brothers and sisters, that we found out. Didn't even know this. And we were close to him. He's in heaven today. And he never told us about her. In fact, we never even, we never knew he even had a child. Because he never talked about her. We just found this out. He said, <clears throat> we were told that they adopted this teenage girl and there was just something about this girl. She just had a wild streak, man. They did everything they could to help her. But she had that wild streak in her. She ended up getting killed in a car accident. 18 years old. That wildness, man. That wild streak. No matter what they tried to do, they couldn't get away, get her away from that wild streak. And she died in a car accident. My good friend never told me that he ever had a daughter. But I was told that when she died that it really messed up my good friend. You can imagine doing everything you possibly can 
to raise a child in the house of God, but they got that wild streak. And no matter what you do, they're the troubled child. Can you imagine what my good friend must have went through when they got the call? Your daughter's dead. Wiped him out. It wiped him out, brothers and sisters. It wiped him out. So today, you don't want to be that kind of person. You don't want to be that daughter or that son that's got that wild streak in a man. No matter how, how hard the parent tries, you just won't live for God. You got a good parent. Amen. I got a call years ago. We were pastoring in, on Brazos, this same church, and I remember I got that call. It was on a Sunday, and just a mother whose heart was broken. Her daughter who was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost, backslid away from the Lord, went into the world, and went out one night partying, drinking. Driving her Jeep, she lost control of the Jeep and was instantly killed. And I'll never forget the call of that mother to me. The anguish. Before she died, I remember she would walk through the front door of that church in Brazos and sat down and Sister Christina would talk to her and I would talk to her. Did our best to try to get her to repent to live for the Lord, but she wouldn't do it. people that were close to her said that she made statements like when she left the church that she made statements like I'm free now I'm free well for a little while you know maybe a month or two it's it goes it, it seems like uh, things seems like you're happier you know maybe for a month or two you feel free you know but it ended up costing her her life. So you listen to a pastor today that loves you enough to tell you you got a wild streak in you. Don't yield to it. Because you, you have no idea the anguish. Even if you don't die physically, you don't know the anguish that you are causing your parent. There's no pain like that. There's no pain like a parent getting up in the middle of the night looking out the window wondering where their lost, long lost child is. Don't know where they are. Haven't heard from them. 
just know that you all you know is you raised them right. You raised them to live for the Lord. All you can do is as you look out the window, stand there and pray for them. God, send your angels. Protect them. Lord, we don't know where they are right now. Lord, don't, don't let them die. God, keep them safe until they can get back to the house of God. Just don't let them die, God. Whatever, whatever you gotta do, Lord, to bring them back, whatever you gotta do to, to save them, whatever you gotta do to rack, rattle their cage, Lord, do it, but just don't let them die. There's no pain like that. I've been there. I know. And all you can do is keep living for the Lord. It's a broken hearted parent. Just keep living for the Lord. Amen. But you as a child have really a lot of power in your, in your life to either destroy your parent or make them glad. Amen. I guess my good friend, he just, he, that, that must have been so devastating to him that he never told Sister Christina. And he looked at us as his children. But he never would talk about it to us. There's a pain that hurts more than death ever could. Are you willing, just because you want to gratify your flesh and what you want in life, are you willing to destroy your mother and father? Are you willing to do that? There's some some fathers and they have struggles, they have problems, you know. And sometimes the child has to be the one that says, Hey, I gotta help my dad. read about a father who started struggling with alcohol. Couldn't get the victory over alcohol. He go <clears throat> would go from one bar to the other and just got consumed with alcohol. And the daughter decided, I, I got to go help my dad. And she went to the bar where her dad was and, and walked into that bar and and her dad was hunched over, leaning toward the bar, drunk. The daughter walked over to her dad, tapped him on the shoulder and said, Is that you, Dad? Is that you? He got up, turned around, he looked at her. When she, that's all she said, Is that you, Daddy? He touched his heart. He got up, pushed himself away from the bar, walked out of that bar with his daughter. But brothers and sisters, there's some addictions in life that are stronger than even your family. Because the next day, that daddy was sitting in the same chair at the same bar, drinking the same booze. And you say, 
Don't you understand what you're doing to your family? Why can't you quit this? You're destroying your family. You give yourself to something. Brother says, listen to me. God or God. You got a triangle. You got you and God. The top of that triangle. It comes down to a point here. If your relationship between you and God is not what it's supposed to be, what you're going to do is you're going to reach down, okay, and pull somebody else or something else up to you to replace that. So ultimately tonight, if you're pulling somebody or something up to your life that you know is wrong, it's because ultimately the line between you and God's broken. What happens then? You become dependent because that thing is fulfilling the empty place in your life that only God can fill. And once you become dependent, from there, if you keep doing it, you become addicted. And addictions are hard to break. The only way is to get God back in that heart and, and let Him, let Him fill that heart. Because God is the only one that can feel. <clears throat> he made your heart so big that only He can fill it. No person, no thing can fill your heart but God. And if He's not where He's supposed to be in your life, you're going to pull up into your life things that are not right and you'll become dependent and then addicted to it. And you get addicted to it. I'm telling you, man, it's hard to break it. Very hard to break it. You might not succeed in breaking that. And that man went back to the same bar, sat in the same chair, drank the same booze knowing he's destroying his, his family because God is not in his heart, his life, the way it's supposed to be. How is it a child would do that to the parents knowing what they're doing to them? Because addictions are hard to break. Because they have set God aside. Now they got to find something else to satisfy that empty heart but only God can do it. Only God can fill that heart. Amen? If a marriage is not what it's supposed to be between husband and wife, it's a triangle. The man will reach down and pull up something in his life, somebody else or some other thing. A woman will reach down and pull something else up into her life, another person, another thing. Because that marriage is not what it's supposed to be. Same thing with God. Pretty soon you'll get drugs. Man, you'll replace God with drugs, addictions, and alcohols, and sex, and pornography, and all kinds of things. Because ultimately, you're not right with the Lord. And only He can fill that empty place. How many of y'all know that?
You know, that's why some kids, you say, why do they do that? Why do you do that? No, you know you're breaking the heart of your parent? Why do you do that? Ultimately, it's because God's not where He's supposed to be. Until you get God, you can't break them. They're too strong. So verse 11, My son, be wise and make my heart glad that I may answer him that reproacheth me. See, your children living right, man. You can say somebody attacks you, attacks your character. If your kids are living right, you can say, look at my kids. You, they are a reflection of me. But what if your child's not living right? Brings a reproach. No matter how good you live, how sterling you are, if something's not right in your family, your kids, man, it's just it's just something you carry. Amen. So honor honor your father, love him, make him glad. A prudent man foreseeth evil, hideth himself, but the simple pass on, and are punished. There's some people they don't mind what they should mind. They don't think about what they should think about. They're lacking. You with me here? Understanding. Danger's there. You've got to hide yourself from the danger. But the simple person just keeps on going, man. Ends up in destruction. You think about eternity, brothers and sisters. Eternity. It blows my mind how people are live. A life without God. Don't you know hell is waiting for you? Don't you fear God? Don't you have enough understanding? Don't you have enough knowledge in your mind to know that there's danger in front of you? Judgment? Do you understand the judgment of God Almighty? Judgment? And you're going to live in such a way that's not preparing for eternity? I ask you today, you're here tonight in this house. You're saved today. But what about tomorrow? What about a year from now? Are you going to be here a year from now? Or are you in and out? Are you in quick and out quick? You prepare. You listen. Every time you come to the house of God, you're preparing for eternity. You say, "Lord, you're saying by your life, I know judgment is coming, and I'm preparing not to be judged by God. I'm going to live for the Lord because I, I fear God, brothers and sisters. And you should fear God. You should know that judgment's coming. Amen." But a person that knows there's danger and just keeps on, just act like there's no big deal, you know, just keeping on doing what they're doing. Not wise. They lack understanding. Because punishment's going to come. Not mindful of the things we should be mindful of. Verse 13 I've already talked about. Take his garment that is surety for a stranger. That means don't stand good for the apostate. Don't back the apostate. Take a pledge of him, of him for a, a strange woman. That means don't try to 
Don't put your confidence and trust in a whoremonger. You'll pay for it if you do. Verse 14. He that blesseth his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse to him. What does that mean? Number one, there's a time when you when you say things. There's a time when you do things. You know, early morning, somebody just waking up, and here you are screaming loud, you know. Man, they throw open the windows. Uh, hey, friend! Uh, Look at your neighbor and say, bad timing. I just got up. Hey, friend! Shut up! Bad timing. Right? What he's basically saying is there's some people that are, they have a big mouth. But there's more to it than this. You want, to, you want me to give you the real understanding of this verse? You have to be careful about people who have a big mouth that always walk around and talk about how great a friend they are to you. See, they profess their friendship. Oh, I'm your friend. I want to be your friend. You're great. You're wonderful. They're just so loud and talking about how much they love you and how much they care about you and what a great friend, you know. How just a bunch of talk. Be careful about people that always, hey, buddy, how you doing, buddy? Good to see you, man. Had to see you, Lord. Love you. Praise the Lord. God, brother Timothy, you're an awesome. Brother, you're awesome, man. What an idiot. You know what I'm saying? Man, you got somebody like that. You, you probably want to just stand back like you didn't go. You with me here? He that blesses his friend with a loud voice rising early in the morning, it shall be counted a curse. Hallelujah. What are you saying? He's just professing friendship. You have to be watch out for people like that. They always talk about how good a friend they are. Yeah. They're not really good friends. They just profess it. Everybody awake? See? I mean, come on, somebody acting like that, just, hey, hey, what you, you know, just going crazy, man. I mean, when you kind of look at them like, I don't know if you're really a friend. I think you're putting on a show. That's what he's talking about. There's some people that are really good talkers, man. They can talk all day long. Big mouse. About what a good friend you are, what a good friend they are to you, and, and then you don't. Then they're gone after they ripped you off. After they took advantage of you. Oh, you don't want to hear this, do you? See, big mouths just because they're looking to get something out of you. They want to, and they are masters at it. They live their life like that. Flattering you. Talking a good talk about how they really love you and really care about you. Man, you're my good friend. You're my good friend. Give it time and see. Do they have hidden agendas? 
Are they just taking advantage of you? Are they just using you? Just, just, I know, I know, see, you're looking at each other like, pastor's lost his mind. <laughs> I'm telling you the truth. Just be careful when you got somebody that's over, over the top about your friendship. <laughs> the reason why they're over the top. They're just professing. They don't care about you. They've got motives. They've got agendas. They've got things in their mind that's about them, not about you. And they want you on their side to back them up. They don't care nothing about you. This big mouse. Y'all all right out there? What time is it? It's nine, right? Yeah. Still early, thank you, brother. Y'all ever anybody ever know anybody like that? Just a big mouth, always talking about how what a great friend. And then you found out really it wasn't about a friendship at all, it was about what they could get out of you. Just to take advantage of you. Yeah, they weren't true friends. Has that ever happened to you, brother? You ever had anybody like that? Yeah, yeah. Timothy? Oh, your brother. I really called your brother. Hey, brother. Hey. Really? Yeah. Really? You see, you had wisdom. You didn't fall for that, did you, brother? Did it fall for it? Yeah. Yeah. Hey, friend. Hey, friend. Hey, friend. What you doing, friend? Friend, I hadn't seen you in 50 years. Friend. Friend. Hey, I'm your friend. I, I'm the one sitting closer than a brother. I haven't seen you in so long, I don't even know who you are. Friend. Don't be so gullible. Let me talk to myself. Don't be so gullible, Pastor Carter. <laughs> right? I mean, because the ones that call you friend, the ones going to jab, stick you in the back, man. <laughs> They're the one that got the golden knife. Right? The so-called friends are the one that hurt the most, right? They want to stick you in the back, man. Remember, how many of y'all ever heard of Julius, Julius Caesar? He got stabbed, right? Who did he get stabbed by? Brutus. He looked at Brutus as a son. He spared Brutus' life on the battlefield. He looked at him as a friend, Julius. And Brutus is the one that stabbed him, stabbed him, stabbed him, stabbed him. What a friend, man. Watch out. The ones that profess to be your friend the loudest are the ones that will stick you in the back, man. You'll feel the cold blade. And your blood will run hot. 
You know, people, I'm serious, man. Julius Caesar spared the man's life. He repaid his friendship with a knife. Verse 15, we've had this before, a continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman or alike. Whosoever hideth her, hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand which bereath itself. We're just saying, you know, some women, thank God, man, that all women are not like this. Some women, all they know how to do all the time is nag, 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 nag. And according to this verse, number one, you can't shut them up. And number two, you can't shut them in. And I mean, it's so hard to deal with them. The Bible says... To try to restrain her is like to re try to restrain the wind. Now, I don't know about any of you, but I can't restrain the wind. You can't restrain the wind, man. And God said, you can't restrain a nagging woman either. She'll never be satisfied. Are you with me? All right, but y'all, none of y'all are married to anybody like that, are you? You know, would you just shut up for a minute? You know. And then the Bible says, I mean, it's so bad, he, he wants to hide her. Because he's so embarrassed. <laughs> you know. You get her in public, she's, she's going to embarrass the tar out of you, man. You can't hide her because she's there. You can't restrain her because you like the wind. Man, if you've got a godly woman that knows how to not talk, thank the Lord. Everybody with me here? This is the Bible. It's like a rainy day. Can't hide her. <laughs> Can't restrain her. Everybody okay up there? There are no sisters in the house like this, is there? Sometimes. <laughs> and he tries to restrain the wind, but it... He can't restrain the wind. Can't hide you. <laughs> I don't know if that's true, sister. Is that true, brother? No, I okay. Normally the ones that say that's me or not, that's not them, right? <laughs> Amen. You have a meek and quiet spirit. But Peter says a great value in the Bible is a woman has a meek and quiet spirit. Say praise the Lord. All the women with a meek and quiet spirit say praise the Lord. Amen. No, 
<laughs> that didn't sound like a woman's voice, but. <laughs> that sounded like the ending of a prayer. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Either that or he's amen to the word of God. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. You want to drive a man crazy? This is the way to do it. <laughs> right? Impossible to contain him. Verse 17, iron sharpened than iron, so man sharpened the countenance of his friend. Again, friendship. See, you, a true friend is going to make you better. True friend is going to make you better. You're going to improve. See, I think about it as I was reading this today and studying. I thought about Brother Edmonds. You know, over there in Taiwan, man. Whew! You talk about iron. He's iron. And he made me better. Really, he made me better. Whew! You had no choice but to be better. <laughs> you know? We're going here, and we're going here, and we're going to, you know, okay. Woo, man. You know, and just the mighty moves of God and the way He leads the people into the presence of God and the way, you know, that they just love God so much. And you with me? They got problems, don't get me wrong, but I'm just saying, uh, He doesn't do everything like I do. So what I did is I learned from Him. Some things that I don't do in pastoring you that I feel like I can do, I learned from him. He sharpened me. See what I'm saying? Okay? Now, and, and I'm not saying I sharpened him, but a good friend will make you better. You'll learn from... You'll, what? So, Brother Timothy's got some strengths and abilities, and Brother Jonathan got some strengths and abilities that I don't have. Right? So, the strengths and abilities that they have will make me better. If I learn, if I allow myself to learn from them. You with me here? Man. And I want to get better. But you gotta hang around, hang around the right friends. Because some friends are not make you better. Okay? So iron sharpens iron. Man, he, brother, Edmunds, he sharpened me. Man. I mean, and when you're getting sharpened, phew, you know, that means some of the blades getting cut, getting taken off and, you know, okay? It's a real deal over there, brothers and sisters. Are you with me here? It's a real deal. Man, he made me better. Verse 18, Whoso keepeth the fig tree shall eat the fruit thereof, so he that waiteth on his master shall be honored. So this teaches, I'm closing, we're almost done. You with me? Thank you for staying with me. But here's what it's teaching you. Finances. Now, we're getting into an area of finances. And what it's teaching you now, like a, like a hummingbird from one flower to the other, that's what this guy does, okay, in Proverbs. Now he's moving to finance. And he's teaching you the importance of diligence. Amen? The reward. If you keep the fig tree, 
If you're responsible, you take care of the fig tree, then guess what? You get the reward of the fruit of the fig tree. You get to eat the fruit. Amen? If you're diligent. If you wait on your master, that doesn't mean you're waiting for him to come. That means you're serving him. If you wait on your master, the Bible says, shall be honored. You will be honored. So there is a reward in serving and being diligent and taking care of and being responsible in life for what you should be responsible for. Being a good steward. Being diligent in business. Amen? Being a good employee. If you are, you will get a reward for that diligence. Amen? Verse 19, as in water face answers to face, so the heart of a man to a man. Your face is a reflection of your heart. Okay, but not only your face is a reflection of your heart, but Brother Timothy, in one way, is a reflection of me. In one way, he, I'm a reflection of Brother Timothy. See, we're reflecting each other. Okay, watch. So, hopefully, that reflection that you see from him and me between the two of us that we are a blessing to each other that means that you see the good that's in me you see in him and the good that you see in him is in me now you with me here okay you hang around the wrong people then you're going to reflect the people you hang around so it's not just about your face reflecting what's in your heart. It's about who you hang with is who you start acting like and start looking like. You are a reflection of them. So if I hang around the right men of God, hang around Brother Edmonds, you're going to see Brother Edmonds in me. From time to time, you don't know Brother Dice. you never seen Brother Dice. He's with the Lord. But there are times, man, I'm preaching and I'm thinking to myself, that's Brother Dice. Man, he's coming out in me. Even my voice tone sometimes changes. And it sounds like Brother Dice. I go, that's Brother Dice. Because I'm a reflection of that man. Hallelujah. And even sometimes, you know, you go spend time with Brother Edmonds. You spend two weeks with Brother Edmonds. Brother Edmonds is going to come out of me sometimes. My, my inflection, voice tone, mannerisms. Because I'm a reflection of the man that I've been hanging with. Hallelujah! Hallelujah. You hang around with somebody that's on fire for God, and all of a sudden we're going to start seeing that same fire reflected in you. You get around carnal, backslidden, lukewarm people, eventually you can say it's not going to affect me, but it will. You will begin to, we will begin to see. Hallelujah to the Lamb. And in some cases, I don't even have to hear about who you've been hanging with. I can tell by looking at your face that you've been hanging around so-and-so because you are a reflection of the person that you hang around with. If you hang around with people that love God, you'll love God. People that are on fire for God, you'll be on fire for God. You get around the wrong people. People that are bitter. People that are full of anger. People that have agendas. People that are backslid, cold in their walk with God. That is what you are going to reflect in your life. 
So the friends that you want are people that are on fire for God. You can't escape it, brothers and sisters. You can talk about, well, it won't affect me. They won't reflect through me or in me. But that's not what the Bible says. I said it, and I didn't even, wasn't even in this verse when I was in Taiwan. I said to that church, I know how wonderful your pastor is because I see how wonderful you are. And you are a reflection, I said, of your pastor. And I said, I've known him for years. I've known him for over 20 years. But I know him better now by looking at the people that are around him all the time. Somebody said, praise the Lord. That's why you want to hang around the right people. You want to hang around somebody that loves God. Somebody's on fire. Somebody to get off their pew and worship God and praise God. Hang around a prayer warrior. Hang around somebody supernatural. Somebody that gets in touch with the power of God and the presence of God. Hang around somebody that's faithful to church. Every time the doors are open, they're there. Because you are a reflection of the people that you hang around with. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We cannot escape it. You cannot escape it. That's why you and I have to be extremely careful about who we hang with. And I'm not saying everybody's bad. I'm not saying, I'm just saying, how is it influencing you? You say, well, I can't. I'm sorry. I know you want me to hang around with them, but I'm sorry because I know what the Bible says. And I don't want to start reflecting them in my life. Somebody said amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. So as water, as in water, face answers to face, so the heart of a man to man. I'm telling you something, I feel the power, I feel the Holy Ghost, I feel the unction of God tonight. This right here is what God, along with everything we've studied tonight, but this one here is what the Holy Ghost is putting His finger on. It's important, brothers and sisters. Man, I've seen them. I've seen this one run with this one and this one run with this one and this one run with this one and they become exactly the same. That's why sometimes your daddy will look at you and say, you need to get away from them. Why? They're my friend. They're in the church. You need to get away from them because there's something not right with them. But why, mama? Why, daddy? Because there's something not right with them. You're starting to act like them. And that's not good. See, brother, see, we can talk all day long about what's in our heart and how we love Jesus, you know. No, we can see it in your face. We know it by your actions. We know it by your walk. We know if you're in the prayer room before church praying. Or if you're not. We know, we know if you're a mole in the church. We know if you're a plant from the enemy. 
I'll tell you something, brothers and sisters. You get somebody that's on fire for the Lord, praising and worshiping God, winning souls, get around them. Say praise God. Say hallelujah. Somebody said hallelujah. Somebody said praise the Lord. Makes the difference, man. You will, you will reflect, and I will reflect the people I hang around with. Do you believe this in Jesus' name? Do you believe this? Jesus is the only one that I know that can touch the leper and not get leprosy. You and I are not like him. Men, you touch leprosy, you get leprosy sometimes. That, that means you will be affected in some way. But he was so holy and so pure that when he laid, when he touched the leper, which was forbidden in the Bible, leprosy could not get at him because he was so pure and so holy. But you and I are not like that. We can get around the unholy, and the unholy transfers to us. But know this according to the prophets. You cannot transfer holiness. You cannot transfer holiness. A person has to desire to be holy for themselves. I can't transfer holiness. You can't either. But I can transfer evil. I can transfer unholiness. Give God praise in this house. So you get around leprosy. You get around sin. And I promise you, you will become a leper. Because you're not Jesus. That you have the power to heal it. Make it better in Jesus' name. Make it cure. Only by His power, not yours. Not yours. How many of y'all have been affected sometime at some point in your life? I have at some point in my life, man, been affected in a wrong way. Reflections, brother. Reflections. So, your pastor comes and you said, you need to stay away from that person. You say, why, pastor? Tell me everything. Tell me all the details. I may not tell you all the details. But I will say, you need to get away from them because I know some things about them. Now, I'm trying to gossip. I'm trying to protect you. Amen? Amen? Mom and dad, now you need to stay away from them. But they're in the church. What's wrong? You're starting to act like them. And they don't act good. Everybody all right? What time is it? It's not even 9.30. You act like it's 12. Yeah, some of y'all need to catch a plane to Taiwan, man. And stay all night, all day, all night, church. And then come back in here. You go... Well, man, that was a that was a that was a quick service. Three hours. That was quick. No, you'd be sleeping, man. You. <laughs> Jet lag and everything else, but they would say, tap you on the shoulder. Hey, you all right? <laughs> Amen. You gotta listen to people. They will rub off on you. Okay? 
This is the best time you're ever going to spend. All right? The best time you're going to spend on a Wednesday is right here, right now. You can influence people for the good, but you can't transfer righteousness. Feel me? But it's so easy to go bad. You know? It's like a piece one piece of bread, brother sister. One piece of bread got mold on it. He might as well take the whole loaf. Okay, you see one piece of bread with mold on it, brother Andrew will tell you that means the whole loaf it's it's got mold. The whole loaf. Even though you can't see it. You with me here? That one piece of bread may influence the whole thing. My wife, she's real good, you know. She'll go and pull out the, the moldy bread and get rid of it and feed us this stuff that's ta- tainted by moldy, the mold. And just because we can't see it, man, that won't hurt you here either. Man, I promise you, if I didn't have eagle eyes and I didn't have hawk eyes, man, she'd be feeding me the mold. Penicillin. Penicillin, my penicillin. That ain't penicillin. I talked to Asia and I know that's not penicillin. You know? Man. Reflections. Who are you reflecting? Look at your neighbor. Help me preach tonight. Who are you reflecting? Been hanging with Jesus? You been hanging with Jesus? You're going to be a reflection of Jesus. Let your light shine. You've been hanging with the light. The light's going to shine bright. You've been hanging with the dark one. Darkness is going to be seen in your life. You are a reflection. John came preaching. He was a light to his generation. The Bible said they, but they would not continue in that light. Look at your neighbor and say reflections. Now ask him, who are you reflecting? Ask him, come on, help me preach. Everybody, obey. Thank you. Ask him, who are you reflecting? Praise the Lord. You well, you watch John Wayne all the time on on television. You're gonna start walking like John Wayne. Hey, what was that? Yeah, I don't, I don't even have to ask you. If you've been watching John Wayne. I just watch the way you walk. I don't have to walk up to you and say, are you on fire? (laughs) Reflections. Amen. I love you. You know I love you. Sometimes all I got to do is look at you. I don't even have to be a prophet. Just look at you and your reflections are telling me something. 
So I say, man, that one looks like that one. Hmm. They must be connecting. How many of y'all like sitting at God's counseling table? I need counsel. I'm giving you hours of it, but it's not enough. I need more. I want one-on-one. I need one-on-one. Twenty hell and destruction are never full, so the eyes of a man are never satisfied. We always want more. We're never satisfied. We want more. You take somebody that's, that has a smoking pro, a smoking habit. Man, they'll smoke one right after another. Pretty soon you look at the whole pack's gone. Because one cigarette's not enough. One laced potato chip's not enough. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? One Hershey's kiss is not enough. Jeremiah had a big old bag of Hershey kisses, caramel Carmel kisses, man. I went over there and I grabbed wood. Opened it up, threw it in my mouth. I went back over there again. My wife said, what are you doing? What are you eating? I went back over there and got another one. Man. Before I knew it, I ate about half a bag. <laughs> you never get enough, man. Never get a, that's the way we are. It's only God can feel that heart, man. Amen. Praise the Lord. Somebody know you get it. You get that. Okay, that's not enough. You got to have more. More and more and more, right? We want more. <laughs> Only God. Hell and destruction the same way. They never get enough. They want more souls. Amen. Say, well, if I could just get that, I'll be satisfied. You get that, you're not satisfied. You know what I'm saying? It's a trap, isn't it? So if I get that car, I'll be satisfied. Then the, it's so crazy, isn't it? You get a brand new car and you're driving down looking at all the parking lots, seeing if there's another one you can buy. In your brand new car, you're still looking, well, I want, maybe I can, maybe, maybe this is not so good. Maybe there's another one over there. It's crazy, man. You know what I'm saying? I'm not kidding you. I bought that truck, you know, pay cash for that truck. Driving down the road, I'm already looking at the parking lots. What does Kelly Grimsley have? Already. I mean, stupid, man. I've had the truck a week and I'm already looking to buy something else. Never get satisfied. Well, this one's got a V8, but I want a V... Well, it's not a V12. I want a V12. Get a V12. You're not happy with that. You want to go to a V6. You know, it just, we're just never satisfied. Huh? Is there anybody here that's satisfied with what you got? Don't lie. Oh, don't lie. <laughs> I didn't call you a liar, Brad. But at some point, we just can't get enough, can we? So it's some more. That's the way it is. And hell's the same way. Hell can't get enough either. Hallelujah. I, but you know, there's one thing that you can be addicted to, and that's to the Word of God. The apostle said they were addicted to the ministry. And that's a good addiction. I can't get enough of the Word of God. I, now, this is going to really... Oh, I'm going to preach it by faith. 
I can't get enough church, Pastor. I can't get, keep preaching all night, Pastor. I don't want the word. I can't get enough. Isn't that, isn't that strange that we can get enough of the word and preaching in church about 15 minutes? But we can't get enough television. We can't get enough movies. We can't get enough Hershey Kisses. We can't get enough potato chips. Man, 15 minutes of God. Good for me. Takes care of me for a month. <laughs> we should be addicted to the ministry, man. To the Word of God, the church. You know? Amen. As the finding pot of silver and the furnace for gold, so is a man to his praise. Amen. There's a test that's going on here. Okay, real quick. I'm not going to keep too much longer. I, I told you you should be addicted. Now I'm going to let you go. But there's a test when you're refined. There's a refining pot. It's a test that's taking place. The dross is being removed. So, you, okay, here's the point. Is that when somebody pays you a compliment, it's going to be a test for you. It's going to be a test for you. Do you, do you realize that most of us don't know how to take a compliment? If somebody comes and compliments you, you say, oh no, you know, I'm no good. You know, because we don't know how to take a compliment. Right? Brother, you're really good at laying floors. Oh no, not really, you know. Not really. I know somebody that's better. You know, because we don't know how to take a compliment, do we? Right? Or I can come and say, man, you can really lay a good floor. Oh yeah, I know, man. I'm, yeah, I'm the best in Odessa, right? <laughs> well, that praise is a test for you. Because we really don't know how to accept, com accept compliments. You know, just say, okay, thank you, appreciate it. Okay, you know, don't embellish, don't, don't, don't put yourself down. Amen, but don't exalt yourself. Say thank you. Okay, appreciate it. It's a test. Verse 32, uh, 22, though thou shouldest bray, bray a fool in mortar among wheat with a pestle, yet will he not will not his foolishness depart from him. And these things deal with pressure, the pressing down of grain, and things like that in the pestle. So he's, what he's saying right here is there's no pain that can come to a fool that will cause that fool to change the direction of his life. And that's sad. To bray means to bruise. You can bruise a fool. You know, there's some people that are just bruised in life, but they're, they're fools because they won't ever change even by pain. Won't come to the sins of our 23. Uh, so, again, in the area of finances, you've got to be wise and change. Verse 23 deals with diligence. Be thou diligent to know the state of thy flock and look well to thy herds. For riches are not forever. And doth the crown endure to ever generation? Okay, so what he's saying is this, right? You may have flocks right now. Everything may be real good right now. You may have plenty in the bank right now, but understand that all that can change. You with me? So when you have flocks, right? You need you and I have to be diligent over those flocks and our herds. We need we need to know where we stand. We need to know 
where the flocks are. We need to know where our finances are. Amen. We need to be diligent in this area. Okay? You can't... Dreaming about it doesn't make it happen. Okay, I promise you. I promise you. Pray, please have mercy on me. I promise you I'm almost done. But you, by sitting around dreaming about things, dreaming about flocks, and dreaming about herds, is not going to make it happen. You can dream all night long about it. But only when you get diligent. Amen? Are you going to be successful? Now, what happens if you don't? If you're not diligent? Well, the Bible says, For riches are not forever, and, and doth crown endure to every generation. Of course not. So, what's going to happen? It's going to go away if you're not diligent. If I'm not diligent, it's going away. Right? But here's the reward of diligence. Verse 25, The hay appeareth, and the tender grass showeth itself. Herbs of the mountains are gathered. Right? Lambs are for thy clothing, and the goats are the price of the field. And thou shalt have goats, milk enough for thy food, for the food of thy household, and for the maintenance of thy maidens. What God is saying is you're going to have what you need in life if you're diligent. You're going to have food. You're going to have milk. Everybody get that point? But that's the reward of what? Being diligent in life. There's a reward. If you're not diligent, you're going to lose what you've got. If you are diligent, you're going to have what you need. Diligence is very, very important to being successful in life. Everybody believe that? Now, when you're, when you're dealing with herds and flocks, that's not easy. It's not easy. That's hard work. The man that knows his flocks well, knows his, his flock well, takes care of the flock. Okay? That's work. You know, we talk about reflection. You get a, if you've got a sheep that's sick and diseased and dirty, it's not a reflection on the sheep. It's a reflection on the shepherd of the sheep. Because the sheep can't clean their wool. The sheep can't heal themselves of disease. It, only the shepherd can clean the sheep, take care of the sheep, cure the sheep. You with me? You see... see Sheep, brothers and sisters, that's what God likens us to. Sheep don't have the ability to, to have direction. They are disoriented very quickly. You get a sheep with a, with a group of sheep and they're, they're eating and they wander away from, say, the group. They only have to go a few, just over the hill. Over the hill. They're lost. They don't have a, home, a home, honing mechanism in there like a cat or a dog. They can't find their way back. They're instantly lost. Disoriented. Just a short ways away from the farm. And the only way back, brothers and sisters, is for the shepherd to go and find them. Because they can't, they don't have the ability to make it back. Sheep, they'll get turned over in a in a rut, 
with their legs up in the air and they will not try to put themselves upright. They won't even try. They have to have a shepherd come pick them up and put them back on their feet. They won't even try. They don't even know when they're in good pasture. They can be eating real nice tall grass, you know, and just go a few feet away from it and they completely lost and they'll start eating weeds. And they won't just eat weeds, they eat poison weeds. Because a sheep can't tell the difference between something that's poisonous and something that's good for them. And right there, five feet away, is good grass. But they don't know it. Sheep have oil in their, in their skin. It comes out in their wool. And that wool attack, attracts dirt. If the shepherd doesn't clean them, they don't get clean. Sheep are susceptible to getting lice and, or I should say, ticks and fleas, man. Maybe not fleas. That's what a cat does. Maybe. But ticks for sure. And they can't get rid of the ticks. They can't clean their own wool. The shepherd has to do it. You understand what I'm saying? Sheep are totally dependent on the shepherd. Totally. So when we talk about the diligence that's needed to take care of the flock, you have to understand, if you see a sheep out there in the pasture and it's all skinny and sick and dirty and got ticks all over it, nobody says, look at the poor sheep. Everybody says, what a poor shepherd. Because they know the sheep can't help itself. And so as your pastor, I have to be diligent to take care of you. Because if you're not doing well, it's not poor sheep. It's poor shepherd. Okay? If you want to be a reflection of your pastor, then the pastor has to be what he's supposed to be. Amen. And then you have to be willing to be a sheep. You have to be willing to let that shepherd be your pastor. Amen. And if you've got a good one, if you have a good one, it will be reflected. It will be seen in your life. Because you are willing to allow the pastor to shepherd you. Because you can't do it yourself. God didn't make you that way. Okay? But in life, the same way, you have to be diligent, you have to work hard. If you do, you're going to have what you need. How many of y'all believe the Word of God? And again, these are, this is not an absolute promise. It's a general statement. But normally, that's the way it is, right? Or there's some diligent people that have have time, hard time making ends meet. They're diligent. But in general statement. Y'all with me here? Alright, would you stand? May the Lord bless you real good. So we've been all over the place today. All over the place tonight. I mean all over the place. 
like a little hummingbird. I said mockingbird, I think, earlier. A hummingbird. Like a little hummingbird. Just whoo, 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 whoo. Man, they fly fast, you know. I see them. They come up there and get a little bit of nectar. And whoo, man, they're out there. Whoo, you know. And that's the way the book of Proverbs is. It's like that. So you probably didn't remember one thing I preached tonight because I covered so many things. But I pray that the Lord has blessed you and ministered to you. And you'll be, you'll grow and become wiser, stronger, but especially the area of friendship. Okay? This chapter really deals with friendship a lot. Be careful to protect yourself. Be careful to prove your friendships. Be careful because you can get you in trouble if you get the wrong ones. All right? Okay, Father, we just pray your blessing upon your people today as we dismiss them. We know, God, today that they're tired. They've had a long day. They've worked hard. We ask God to continue to strengthen them, encourage them, and we give you all the glory and the honor and the praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. God bless you. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Brother and sister, can I meet with you, right? Okay, and sister, may I meet with you?